Davis Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bang! Oh! will get it for the win. Got it! He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper. Our 24-minute recap, number two, here covering the games on December 23rd, 2020. Before we get started, please remember to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast. And, of course, to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify, as well as to subscribe on Twitter and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod. So, for the games, there was a lot of our teams in action on Wednesday night. And let's start with one of our Tier 1, the Boston Celtics, opening up their season against the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's start with the fact that the Celtics went big, Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice to start, because Kemba Walker's out, remember, still recovering from that knee injury. The Celtics did seem to miss him a bit in the first game offensively at times. But I really liked what I saw from Tristan Thompson. You know, this is a guy who came from Cleveland and has been getting the reputation of, oh, he, you know, LeBron made him look good. This is only his second team he's ever been on, and he was fantastic. His energy, he looked like he had a point to prove that he was still a good player in this league. And he hit some really nice little floaters, six-footers, two of them with the left hand, one of them with the right hand. Remember, this is a guy who, when he first came into the league, was a left-handed player, and then, I mean, he's ambidextrous or so, switched his shooting form to a righty. And Daniel Tice also looked a step quicker to me as well and was hitting his threes. I mean, Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson were real bright spots for the Celtics. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum didn't start out as well as I'd like them to. The Bucks, everyone but Giannis in the first half, I thought was fantastic. You know, Dante DiVincenzo started. You know, this is West Matthews was the starter last year. DiVincenzo came in and hit some deep threes, was getting out in transition. The Bucks were getting a lot of easy points in transition to start the game. And Drew Holiday also, great debut, both ends of the floor, was giving Marcus Smart a taste of his own medicine, taking the ball away from him a lot. But the Celtics were still hanging around. The thing about, so Jason Tatum, you know, I'm a big Jason Tatum fan, as I've stated multiple times on this podcast. But Tatum, I've noticed now with, with watching these teams that we're covering here on Dime Dropper this season, we're going to notice, we've, we notice the flaws as well in these great young players and in these players. Because when you just kind of look at it from the casual, watching them on national TV perspective and only watching a couple games, you really only notice the good. You don't look at them as if they were your team noticing the flaws and everything. Jason Tatum, multiple times in that first half and throughout the game, had an opportunity to pull a basically uncontested mid-range jumper from the foul line or from the mid-range area. And he consistently turned it down, whether it was a dribble handoff off a screen or just a regular pick, high pick and roll, he would neglect to take that mid-range to kick it out to a three-point shooter who wasn't open and a possession that basically resulted in either a miss or a turnover for the Celtics. And once again, this goes back to the analytic stuff and, you know, has the NBA gotten better type thing. We can't, you can't limit yourself by neglecting a whole part of the court. Jason Tatum needs to, if, you know, he says his favorite player is Kobe Bryant. If his favorite player is Kobe Bryant, he should know the ways that Kobe got his points and how many of those came off dribble handoffs at the foul line or, 
you know, little pick and rolls at the foul line. You know, they, the screens weren't set as high back in the day all the way at the top of the key like they were now. So that was one thing I noticed from Tatum. And then Jalen Brown, I actually really thought was the best player on the Celtics overall. Alongside Jeff Teague, who came in and gave some incredible minutes to the Celtics. I mean, Jeff Teague is a guy who I actually have been a solid fan of for a little bit because he used to always give Chris Paul fits for whatever reason because he can do the most basic things that make a guard solid in today's game. He can defend guards, quick guards, pretty well. As you, when when I was, you know, when Chris Paul was on the Clippers. He, no matter if Jeff Teague was in Indiana or he was in Atlanta, he did a really good job on Chris Paul. And then he was solid in pick and roll. And that's all you really got to be is solid in pick and roll. No one to take that floater. No one to take a three if they go under the screen. Will Now, the problem with Jeff Teague is, will he always make those shots? Does he always make those shots when, you know, he knows which shots to take in the pick and roll. I like his decision making. He knows when to pass to the roller or kick it out. But will he always make those shots? At the end of the day, if you're doing the right things, I'm not too big a critic. But the main guy for me that really won this game for the Celtics was Jalen Brown. And I talked about it in my preview. Jalen Brown's going to be an all-star this year. Jalen, my favorite thing I saw from Jalen was getting into that mid-range area that Jason Tatum was neglecting off of screens. And he hit like three or four pull-ups from there. And the Bucs couldn't do anything about it. And that's going to be, if Jalen Brown can do that consistently, which I think he will, once again, it's simple as that. And it's unguardable. You're going to have to give something up, and then everything's going to open up for the Celtics and Jalen Brown individually when he's hitting that shot. So I think Tatum should be hitting that too. As for the fourth quarter, the Celtics nearly blew the game. They had a very hefty lead. They got outscored 37-21 in that fourth quarter by the Bucs, and mostly because Giannis decided to come play. And here's the thing. Outside of the fourth quarter, Giannis played fantastic. I'm sorry, no. Outside of the fourth quarter, which Giannis played fantastic, he was poor. He didn't improve He didn't look like he improved at all. Now, is it the first game and too early to make those judgments? Yes. But this stat line that he has of 35 points and 13 rebounds is extremely misleading. The guy has no moves. His only speed is to go downhill, and when he's not, when he doesn't have a lot of room, when he doesn't have, you know, he's not in transition, he doesn't really change direction. He doesn't have a spin. He doesn't have a stop on a dime adjustment. He doesn't have any counters. Once somebody guesses if he's Euroing or if he's going straight, he just charges in. And Marcus Smart, who I thought was okay, I thought that he was a little, you know, I like how he wasn't forcing it, but I do want Marcus Smart to take more than three shots in the game. He ended up with only three points in the game, but he got two huge charges on Giannis and Giannis and Ben Simmons. We're going to get to Ben Simmons when we talk about him for the um, Sixers review against the Wizards, but they just, they charge in from the top of the key and they don't have any adjustment. They don't have any kind of sort of counters. When they go downhill, it's they're going downhill. That's what they're doing. You know, there's no, once again, There's no counter to stopping on a dime or spinning or pulling back. They have nothing. They just charge in, and it's very predictable. And the Celtics were able to create a lot of turnovers. Giannis had seven turnovers. But at the end of the day, one thing I really liked from Jason Tatum late in the game was that he got into that mid-range area against DiVincenzo. 
turn, shimmy, pull, bucket. Then he came down after seeing that shot go in and hit a three. Once again, I talk about it all the time. You see a shot go in from the mid-range area. You see a shot go in from 10 feet or to the basket or even a free throw, and then the three-point game will open up. You see the ball go in. It's just a normal instinct of a basketball player. As for the final shot, that was extremely lucky. I did not like the shot at all. A step back, off-balance three that Jason Tatum banked in. I think the Celtics were very fortunate that that shot went in. Not to mention the ridiculous officiating on that last play. That should not have been called, in my opinion, the Giannis one. Because if Bucks fans want to complain and say that that, sh- that was a foul, well, if that ticky-tack shit is a foul, then the foul that Chris Middleton pushed Jason Tatum in the back before that was also a foul. The Bucks deservedly lost. Giannis choked at the line. I mean, what else is new? At the end of the day, as great as the addition of Drew Holiday was, as great as the players in the Bucks played, and let's just n- acknowledge how they played. Chris Middleton, 10 of 20 from the field. He had 27 points, 14 rebounds, and 8 assists. Drew Holiday, 25 points in his debut to go along with 6 rebounds, 2 steals, and a block. 10 of 16 from the field. DiVincenzo with 15 on 6 of 11. It really all came down to Giannis. You look at the bench and you say, oh, the bench didn't do enough. Only Connaughton played 20 minutes or more from the bench. Giannis cost him the game. He wasn't very good. Jason Tatum finished with 30 points and 7 boards, but once again, 12 of 28, 6 of 13 from 3. That's a solid percentage, but some of those, it could have been 6 for 11 from 3. Some of them were extremely unnecessary. Tristan Thompson, 12 points, 8 rebounds in his debut. Fantastic. Tice, 10 points as well, 4 of 8. Jalen Brown was my player of the game with 33 points on 13 of 24 from the field. He shot 8 threes and 16 twos, and that is why, my friends, he had 33 points. Jeff Teague, 19 points off the bench. Three boards, four assists. He was awesome. But there you go, Celtics fans. I think one thing to be really happy about is the way that Jalen Brown and Tatum were leading the team. You know, it's kind of finally seemed to transition after a couple years of, you know, we had the Kyrie Irving years, and then, you know, Kemba last year came in. And even though Kemba's still on the team, I feel like this is shifting towards what we expected. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's team. And for the Celtics, they deserve to win that game, even though Tatum has some things I can tweak. I know I'm being critical with him, but that's only because I believe that he can really be one of the best players in this league. The Celtics want to know, good for the Celtics. And on to the next game to Brooklyn, who's going to be really tough on Christmas Day. Another game I took in, of course, another team we're covering here are the Washington Wizards, who played the Sixers and really gave up a one that they should have had. I thought Russell Westbrook, you could clearly tell his impact on this team immediately. He gets the rebound. He pushes the ball right away. Got guys some easy looks in transition. The guy is just a firecracker. However... Some people need to see, and I think Wizards fans may have seen this already, he was very lazy at at times defensively, especially off the ball. Westbrook was falling asleep with, you know, with guys running off, running away from the basketball. And, you know, late in the game, he and Beal each got blown by, and there was one really bad defensive breakdown from the Wizards at the end. Ben Simmons got a dunk. You know, the, the Wizards were up by four points with four minutes to go in this game. And not only could they not start Joel, not stop Joel Embiid, And Joel Embiid, this was the best game I'd seen him play in a long while. He was aggressive. He was playing like when people say Joel Embiid can be the best center in the league, this is how he was playing. Every single time down the court in that fourth quarter, whether it was Thomas Bryant or Davis Bertans or whoever was guarding him, he was going to work. He was, you know, jab step, mid-range area, pull over him, turn around, pull over him. They were double teaming. He was splitting it, going to the rim. 
jump hooks. You know, jo- Joel Embiid was in his full bag, and he was getting the ball multiple times consecutively down the court, saying, you better double-team me if you're going to stop me. And even with the double-team, he was still able to score. If Joel Embiid plays with that kind of aggression on a nightly basis, he's one of the best players in the league, let alone centers. But the problem is, we've seen Joel Embiid play like that. But we've also seen the Joel Embiid that doesn't play like that. And that is the whole thing, consistency. As for... Other things, the Wizards, you know, just some defensive malfunctions at the end of the game. You know, this team, as we talk about on Dime Dropper all the time, the main thing with the NBA these days, defensive communication or lack of it, and the Wizards need to build chemistry defensively. You know, Westbrook needs to be a little bit more alert off the ball. And Beal was fantastic, I thought. He was he had 31 points on 11 of 22 from the field. However, I do think Bradley needs to be a little bit more aggressive finding his shot. I don't think that him and Westbrook should shoot the same amount of shots. Westbrook was 9 of 22, finished with 21 points, 11 boards, 15 assists, a triple-double in his first game with the Wizards, but he also had 6 turnovers. At the end of the day, 15 to 6 assist to turnover ratio is fine. However, I thought Westbrook... Still made some mistakes here and there. Was he the reason they lost? No. I don't think there was. A, this was the type of game where it was one person that lost the game for Washington. I think they just need to be better at executing and taking smarter shots down the stretch and talking on defense. One of the main bright spots for the Wizards in this game was Denny Avdija, who was fantastic in terms of showing us... I mean, he was only two for two. Seven points, four boards. That doesn't pop out on the stat line. But he was making the right plays, making some really solid passes, getting out in transition and making some nice passes. I know he had that one in a fast break where he looked to his left. And then he had a nice box out on Joel Embiid. He was competing, Denny Avdija. Avdija, I need to get used to that. He was competing. And I think that when Rui Hachimura comes back, this Wizards team is going to be really fun. But I think Beal, he was getting a lot of looks. Most of his shots came from off the ball, you know, pin downs or, you know, coming off down screens and off the catch and then making the move towards the middle. And I think that Bradley Beal still needs to be involved in high pick and rolls and isolations from the top of the key. You need to run a little bit more through Beal as well. I don't think that he should be just in a kind of a Klay Thompson kind of role. So that's one thing I would say for the Wizards is next game. You've got to get Beal a little more going. This game was very winnable, guys. Very winnable. Beal finished with 31 points. But the Sixers, they didn't really play that well. Ben Simmons, as we were saying with Giannis, same thing. He just comes from the top, and he has not improved at all. You, as long as you just guess where he's going, you guess if he's going to Euro or not, he commits charges, he loses the ball in crowded areas. You know, there was one time where he just shoveled a pass really quick in a crowded area inside the lane. This is what I talk about when we talk about the old NBA. When we talk about guys like Magic Johnson, who were six nine point guards, passing in congested areas. you got to put a little bit less on the pass. Yes, it has to be quick, but you can't rifle it at someone because in that congested area, it's going to easily bobble off their hands if they don't have great hands. And Magic Johnson was someone that did a really good job. He puts whip on it, but he makes he follows through so you get a light touch so it's not too harsh on the hands of the receiver. And Ben Simmons with some careless turnovers. Ben Simmons still finished with a solid stat line of 16, 9, and 7, but he had four turnovers. Two steals, three blocks, but four turnovers. At the end of the day, it's not going to matter because the Sixers won. Joel Embiid, by the way, 29 and 14, 10 of 17 from the field. That's the Joel Embiid I want to see. Tobias Harris, who's somebody we had with the Clippers, is another guy who I saw this under Brett Brown, and I was hoping with Glenn Rivers. And you know, this is just the first game, so we we may we have to take some time. But you, this is the type of guy you need to get him different looks. He made two of his three field goals, or maybe all three of his field goals, in the first quarter when he was getting some dribble handoffs, coming off pick and rolls, popping those mid ranges. When you could, when you make Tobias just a spot up shooter like Brett Brown did, or maybe it's Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid doing this because they have a new coach now. And yesterday, 
All I saw was Tobias Harris just shooting, you know, open threes. I know it was only four of his 13 shots were threes. However, it's just he's not in rhythm. And obviously, he needs to take accountability and make some of these open shots. But this is just not Tobias's game. This is not the way you get the most out of him. And the longer this continues, the more he's going to just be a complete joke to how much he got paid. However, you know one thing, a bright spot for the Wizards. I mean, sorry, for the Sixers. I know he only got... 13 minutes of play, but Dwight Howard coming off the bench in that first quarter, he really changed some momentum and gave the Wizards were down. When, I'm sorry, the Sixers were down when he came in, and then the, the, they led by four after one. He was plus eight in the game. Shake Milton had the highest plus minus by far. He was plus 33, and he had 19 points off the bench, and he made a really tough shot at the end where he got by Bradley Beal and then went right at Denny Avidja's body and finished really tough over him. It was a nice finish. He was plus 33 with 19 points. Danny Green, 1 of 6, 0 of 4, 2 points, minus 27. I know Laker fans are happy to see that. Danny Green up to the same stuff he was up to in the bubble. So now we go to the Hawks, who were another one of our teams here at Dime Dropper, and they had the most picture-perfect start of maybe any team that we've had we've covered so far in the NBA. Obviously, we, the Brooklyn Nets were one as well. But this Hawks team, this game was completely out of sight by halftime. They were rolling on all cylinders, and you know who it starts with? It starts with Ice Trey. Trey Young making great reads in pick and roll, making threes, putting on a literal show, tween, cross, step back, three. You know, just taking what the defense gives, making the right reason pick and pop with Gallinari at one point in the first quarter, and in the pick and roll with John Collins, who was fantastic on both ends of the floor, sliding his feet, going up vertically, just really energized on defense, John Collins. And the whole Hawks team was energized on defense, and this is a team that we talked about in the preview that I was saying is a poor defensive team, but tonight or yesterday, I should say, they came out with a point to prove that, you know what, we're, we're about that hype this year. Gallinari finished with 13 points on 4 of 6 in his debut. He was very solid in his 24 minutes. John Collins only played 18 minutes, but boy, was he fantastic. Rolling to the rim, getting out in transition, scoring different types of points, and playing good defense, ultimately. 6 of 10 from the field, 14 points. DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish were also extreme bright spots for the Hawks. I know they were slightly disappointing last season, but both of them were moving without the ball, getting out and running, hitting threes. DeAndre Hunter only made one, but he only shot one. But DeAndre Hunter was awesome. He finished with 11 points on 5 of 6. And then Cam Reddish, who a lot of people expected. I saw some people picking him as Rookie of the Year last year, and he did not kind of perform to expectation. 15 points, 6 boards, 6 of 11. And, of course, as I said, Trey Young was just, it starts with him, he was just carving his way in that pick and roll, getting out and running, throwing some lobs to John Collins, hitting contested threes, the whole works from Trey Young, 10 of 12, 37 points, 6 boards, and 7 assists, you know, I might have to say that Trey Young was the best performer of anyone in their first game throughout the NBA, Bogdanovich as well was okay, 15.7 boards, a lot of those came in garbage time, but I was, I mean, if you're a Hawks fan, Without Capella, without Rondo, an incredible start to the season. As for the Bulls, though, I've never seen a Chicago Bulls team with such little fight and such little heart ever in my entire life. That was an absolute joke from Markinen to Wendell Carter to Kobe White to Zach Levine. No defensive intensity at all. Not even trying to get over screens. I mean, lazy. Letting them get out and run. They're just not getting back on defense. You know, just throughout the league, just incredibly, as we talked about once again, is the NBA getting better? Go check those episodes out. Terrible defensive effort. 
You know, just to put some stats out there, Laurie Markkinen may have been 6 of 9 with 21 points. He was awful in this game. Kobe White was even worse. 2 of 11 with 9 points. He was trash. So was Wendell Carter. 6 points. I mean, the Bulls, I may have even been generous ranking them 11th, but that was as big of a joke as any game they played last season or any Bulls game I've ever seen in my entire life. It was pathetic. So let's, so once again, the Dime Dropper team is the Hawks, and they won, so we're like we're happy about that here on Dime Dropper. Let's go to the Suns, who were on ESPN playing against the Luke, uh, the Porzingis-less Dallas Mavericks. And it was a very even, shaky, kind of an ugly game. There were some things I did not like about the Suns. I did like their defensive intensity. I keep saying that, but it is really just so much in basketball. I liked how locked in they were. They were really kind of in sync and making it a point to... You know, when it's just Luka, and as we said, you know, constantly with Luka with the ball, it's easier to read those type of defenses. It's it's easier to game plan against that. And, you know, everyone knows you want to let Maxi Kleba shoot. Everyone knows that. And he was 2 of 7 from 3. Everyone knows that, you know, as long as you can test Luka's step back, it's not a big deal. And Luka came out really slow and, you know, looked tired, but he grew into the game as he always does. Finished with 32 points, 8 boards, and 5 assists, and only 1 turnover. But I think Luka honestly holds the ball a little too much for my liking on this team. And I think that's maybe just because of Carlisle and the way that he runs his team. But I think Luka's holding the ball a little too much for my liking. But as for the Suns, who are the team that we focus on on Dime Dropper, I thought that Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, especially Chris Paul, need to be a bit more aggressive. I mean, they each only shot 9 shots. And that's not going to be enough. You know, they were a little bit lucky that they came out with this win. You know, Porzingis didn't play. Chris Paul, I know, you know, I was surprised to see Monty Williams go with a large stretch of the game with neither Chris Paul or Devin Booker in the game. And I don't know if that's really going to work against other good teams in the West because this Suns team isn't very deep. I mean, Cameron Payne, Javon Carter, Langston Galloway, Cam Johnson, Damian Jones, these were the players that came off the bench for them. And I thought Cam Johnson was really solid. He made some open shots. He was had 15 points, five boards. And Cameron Payne, I thought, was the best bench player on the bench. 11 points off the bench. 11 points, 5 of 9. He was solid, but I just don't know if those lineups without Chris and Devin Booker are going to be able to cut it against some teams. I know Dario Saric was out. Michael Bridges also played great defense on Luka. He's one of the he's the best defender on this team from, from what I know and from what I saw. He had 18 points on seven and 7 boards, 4 of 7 from 3, 5 of 11 from the field. But going back to that Chris Paul thing and DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul needs to realize that I know he was trying to get everybody involved and be a good leader. And I talk about that on this show all the time. And you need, you need to just sometimes take a step back. But Chris Paul needs to be the second leading scorer on this team. Or or Ayton does. But they both, I expect him to both average around the 18 points a game mark to back up Devin Booker. And only shooting nine times, that's not going to cut it. Chris Paul only had eight points, four boards, and five assists. I know he's going to be happy because they won. But that is not going to cut it usually. Chris needs to be more aggressive. And Devin Booker needs to be more aggressive. 15 shots, only 22 points. And this is a, you know, he had like eight in the first quarter. Devin Booker cannot just shy away from games like this. He needs to be aggressive. He needs to be trying to score 30 points every single night because he is that talented. Once again, we go. it goes back to having that killer mindset. And Devin Booker and Chris Paul each made a shot late in the game to seal the game. But once again, it shouldn't have even been that close. <coughs> However, he made the shot. They made big plays, and all that matters is the win. So the Suns starting out 1-0, just like we want to see on Dime Dropper. Aiden had some really good moments. He had two jump hooks in a row on Maxi Kleba. And once again, you know I love big men posting up with skill there. 
And DeAndre Ayton did it very well for those moments, but I want him to be more aggressive. Five and nine, he needs to shoot more. So I want to see some more aggression from the big three of the Suns. And now we'll end it with the last game I watched, the last team we're covering here on Dime Dropper, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, I know we're going to go a little bit over 24 minutes here, but bear with me. The Minnesota Timberwolves against the Detroit Pistons, you know, looking at this game on the schedule, I think the Pistons were 14th in my preview, so I expected the Wolves to come out and beat them up. D'Angelo Russell started out on the bench, which I don't really like, because I think it was maybe he was late uh, during COVID protocol or something, but the, the Wolves came out, and you know, their best player is a center, Carl Anthony Towns, and they come out the first three minutes, and they don't even give him the ball in anything other than like a dribble handoff, or you know, he's getting the ball, handing it off to, to guards at the three-point line, and they're down eight nothing in no time. I mean, I understand it's a perimeter-based game, but when your best player is a center, you need to run your offense through your center. It's just mind-boggling. And then they start giving him the ball, and then they start scoring. You know, I also noticed something else when and Carl Anthony Towns also didn't do himself any favors. He got two offensive fouls in the first quarter, one charging into Blake Griffin, one setting an illegal screen. It's very apparent that the league has made an emphasis off of calling fouls on screens this year as if they didn't need to be more ticky-tack. But Carl Anthony Towns getting those two fouls was not good for the Pistons. I thought Derrick Rose came in for Detroit and did a really good job. Jeremy Grant was really good in the first quarter, but he really slowed down. He only ended with nine points. But Derrick Rose had 15 points off the bench on 7 of 13. But let it be known, guys, and Blake Griffin is one of my favorite players of all time, obviously. Blake Griffin had Josh Okoge on him the entire game, and he only had 15 points and only shot 13 times. That, my friends, is completely unacceptable. The Pistons ended up losing this game, and I blame it on Blake Griffin. But here's the thing. They lost this game because in the fourth quarter, they were going, they were up five going into the fourth quarter because of many flaws I saw in the Wolves. First off, why is Jake Lehman starting over Anthony Edwards? I understand he's a rookie, but Jake Lehman is not a starter in the NBA. 17 minutes, 0 of 3, and he was getting cooked by Jeremy Grant, and he was making Jeremy Grant look like Kobe Bryant. Jake Lehman cannot be starting. Ricky Rubio was also pathetic. He missed a wide-open point-blank layup. I like Ricky Rubio, but that was a terrible game from him. Three points, 1 of 4. Juancho Hernan Gomez also missed a wide-open layup. I mean, some of these, the Wolves missed so many chippies, and they took so many unnecessary threes, especially D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. I'm well aware that D'Lo and Malik Beasley can hit contested threes, but once again, it goes back to what I said. They overdo it. Malik Beasley shot 3 of 9 from 3 and 10 of 18 from the field. That means that he shot 7 of 9 from not 3s, from shooting 2s. Malik Beasley finished with 23 points, but he made so many errors in that game with shot selection. It's like, stop overcomplicating things for yourself. As I said again, D'Angelo Russell the same. You know, 11 of his 16 shots were threes. And when this Wolves were not playing well, a lot of that reason was because D'Lo was settling. And once again, you know, I had a coach tell me, Adam Key, former NBA player from the Utah Jazz. He was my coach at the rec center one time. And he yelled at me and took me out of a game one time for shooting a, a no-pass three at the rec center. No passes. 
So once again, when you have guys this talented, and I say it all the time, if you just move the ball in today's NBA, you're guaranteed to get a good shot. But when you got a guy coming down, I don't care how good he is at shooting, D'Angelo Russell, coming down taking no pass threes, well, he better make that three because those are the type of shots that are only good if they go in. And D'Lo, you know, he's a clutch guy. He started making shots down the stretch of the game. Carl Anthony Towns was really the reason that the Wolves won this game because in the end of the game, he started being more aggressive. Once again, Carl Anthony Towns is so talented, and this is the reason why I'm watching this team this year and chose them as one of our teams because he can score anytime he wants, but the longer he kind of just hangs around at the perimeter, just wants to pick and pop for threes instead of demanding the ball, going to work in that mid-post area where he can post up or pull up, He's doing his team a disservice. And D'Angelo Russell needs to keep getting in that mid-range area and around the basket because he was 3 of 5 in all other sh- in twos. 4 of 11 from threes. He only finished with 18 points, 5 boards, and 4 assists. But the Wolves are super lucky that they won this game. Their defensive energy was extremely poor, by the way. I know the Pistons only scored 101 points. And Akogi was the only one that really looked very engaged defensively to me. Also, Nas Reed, who I'd never seen play. He was pretty engaged defensively as well. The Wolves got some good contributions from the other guys. Jarrett Culver, 10 points, 3 of 6, 10 boards as well. He was pretty good. And Anthony Edwards had a promising debut. 15 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, 5 of 12. The kid looks confident. He definitely should be starting. At least one of either him or Akogi. I'm sorry, no. Either one of Edwards or Culver should be starting over Lehman. But Akogi was good, and he did a good job on Blake Griffin for what it's worth, but I think that's more on Blake Griffin. However, Carl Anthony Towns took over the game, made some really good passes at the end, drawing attention, and that's just from being aggressive. So once again, Carl Anthony Towns needs to be aggressive, but D'Angelo Russell at times of this game, and it's once again all about defensive effort, as we talk about on Is the NBA Getting Better. It's all about when these players choose to play defense, and D'Angelo Russell had this one play in the first half that pissed me off so much. He took a contested three that didn't go in. When they were losing, of course, once again, knowing when to take shots, when you're losing and you take these shots, it's not the same as when you're winning and you take these shots and this will never show up on the stat sheet that's why the greatest thing the test is to watch the games but D'Angelo Russell not only missed that shot he got back and Derrick Rose was running at running in you know in uh in the open court and this guy didn't even make an effort to get in front of him or slide in front of him and take a charge or make him change directions or anything he just kind of stood to the side of him and let him run like oh it's D Rose I'm just gonna let him score so we can get back on offense and that type of offense that type of effort is not good enough at all so anyway I saw a lot of problems with the Wolves and a couple of problems with the Suns, but ultimately for both teams, they came out with the win, and that is the most important thing, and I'm happy to see the Minnesota Timberwolves take advantage of that win. I don't want to talk about any more other teams because I did watch the Knicks game, but we've already gone 30 minutes, so I'm going to end it now. I'm sorry that I went a little bit over 24 minutes. You know what? Fuck it. Let's get to 33 just so we can we can get round, give a good round number. The Knicks, I saw some promising signs from R.J. Barrett in that game against the Pacers, but, you know, we got to start, as, as I said, DeMontis Sabonis, second best power, I think right now he's better than Blake Griffin, second best power forward in the league, true power forward after Anthony Davis, in my opinion, as I said, look at my, is the NBA getting, or was it the, yeah, the preview, Giannis, I don't consider him a true power forward, Siakam the same, I think that the best power forward is AD, followed by Sabonis, who I love how he, you know, he doesn't have a great create-for-himself kind of game, but he gets his points in other ways. Offensive rebounds, a little bit of bully ball here and there, and he can pick and pop. So the Pacers got a solid win. The Knicks, they're going to have trouble offensively. I like the energy from Tom Thibodeau's Knicks defensively. They're going to have some trouble offensively, though. 
Anyway, that's all. Make sure to subscribe on everything. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Make sure to tell me what you thought of this. Please give me feedback. I know the Christmas games are tomorrow, and I may do a podcast and recap after the Christmas games, but I'm just finishing off that has the NBA gotten, is the NBA getting better part three, the finale, because once again, as I said, this is my most important videos. These are my most important videos, and these will the one, are the ones that will define my channel the most, and I am exposing the media. This is going to be the most electric part of them all, guys, so stay tuned. Please watch that video. Please watch those videos because they're more important than these. Christmas, go Clippers. Peace.